sorry, I was just doing my work on the computer. But then, but welcome to the global gag. Please show your lo share your location or Twitter handle in chat along with us. Any questions you have, um, I will gladly answer them. I beg of you. Subscribe to your YouTube channel for future events. Enjoy the show! Hello everyone and welcome. Thank you for joining this session of Global GEG. We are glad to introduce Brian Hoss this way. Live from Sydney, so basically is from future, you know. Hi Brian, thank you for coming and we can mm -hmm. wait to follow your session and listen to you. So please, the stage or the screen is yours. Thank you, Philomena. Um, it's really exciting to be here. It's um, yeah, it's been a joy to be involved in the Global GEG for uh, a little while now. So um, yeah, this is my first first presentation on behalf of Global GEG. So let's um, get growing your PLN. So um, welcome. Um, my name is Brian Host. I do come from um, Sydney, Australia. I'm a classroom teacher and a digital literacy coach. I'm passionate about STEM and inquiry-based learning. I co-teach with five other teachers with 114 students in my classroom. Um, it's a 350 square meter classroom or a 418 square yard classroom. So quite a massive open learning space. Um, my mission is to foster the, the uptake and development of high-quality evidence-based research um, <coughs> of focus for um, future learning. So um, I concentrate on the personal impacts of, um, of personalised learning and differentiation. So within my classroom, I need to make sure everything that I do has purpose and can provide the best best learning for my students. So some of the ways I do that is by using things like social media. So um, we're gonna be looking today at how we use different forms of social media from an educator's perspective, but also from a student's perspective to en enhance their learning. Because ultimately, that's why we are educators, so that the, the benefits for the students are gonna be there. So my, my learning intention today is we'll understand how to use social media and digital literacy tools to connect to a global community. Fair enough, we can use these sort of things within our own um, classroom spaces, but if we can access the global community, it suddenly um, lifts the, the amount of leverage we have as educators and the amount of potential as educators we can um, transform the students' learning. So what's the reasoning behind this? What's the need for it? So obviously there's the curriculum requirements. So we, if we look at our own requirements of, of our curriculums, we can see there's a, a greater push towards future-focused learning. There's the cultural globalisation. We, we see that every day, that um, things are transported between nations. There's more traffic that's happening. We, we've spent the time um, in, in this COVID time using things like video to, to connect with each other. We're doing it today where um, I, I'm speaking from Sydney, Australia, and you're currently all over the globe, yet the, you've got access to that same material and information. The industry requires us to prepare our students for the future. So um, this global understanding needs to come through as we are teaching our students. And because we have this, this desire to create global, engaged and aware citizens. So not sitting back and just <coughs> hoping that they get it, but it, literally engaging them to, to support them with this understanding. So from an educator, let's look at some of the, the benefits, and these are research-backed um, benefits for um, using social media. First one is you are connected to the most up-to-date research. Very, very beneficial. If, you, if you're if you able to reach out to, to researchers who are in the field going, 
and um, asking them complete questions around what's what's the um, benefit of doing this type of practice or using this type of pedagogy, suddenly they respond to you and give you that information. You, you're not then spending hours upon hours doing your own research. You, you're sort of... Um, you're hacking the system of the traditional research system for educators. All the titles are flattened, so <laughs> you can reach out to um, professors, you can reach out to um, these key people um, within education, and they're in the same standing as you. So um, you could have someone who's who's got 50,000 followers, and you can reach out them, to them, and they'll still respond in many cases. So. Um, where in, in the past there, there may have been distance, it's all flattened, so everyone's travelling at the same level. You can um, connect with industry experts and hear about things before they hit the general population. This is how I first learn about um, things like the Google Innovator Program and the Google Trainer Program. It was because I um, had connected through social media originally and I heard about these programs well and truly before they were released into um, the, the general advertising. I, I was aware that things were coming. And um, all your, your administrators are going to love this. It's the most valuable professional development and it costs nothing. So social media, the only cost to you is your time. So this is one of the amazing benefits to being able to use this type of learning. So currently you're tuning in. Um, it's not costing you anything to tune in. <coughs> Where if you were going to a conference, chances are you will have had to pay for a ticket, you will have had to um, spend a whole bunch of money on accommodation, etc. We're, we're doing it completely free and it's here. So if we look at the student's perspective, global students are eager and engaged. They're respectful and they're open to other ideas from other cultures. They, they actually see the world with global awareness. If you speak to many students who have come from an international um, perspective when they've come out to another nation, they, they see what's going on in that, that nation with a, a large, larger and more broad perspective. This is what we want for all of our students, not just those who come from an international perspective. Every student, no matter what classroom they are in the world, we want them to have this global awareness. We also want to celebrate the diversity and show awareness that they live and learn with each other. So we're, um, in my own context, we've had students that have connected with classes all over the globe so that there's this greater level of diversity and understanding that they can have from each other. And it also helps them to understand and appreciate other places in the world. We currently can't uh, travel globally. Yet I can connect with a mentor of mine in Singapore who's tuning in at the moment. I can, um, I can get on the phone and I can speak with different people. I can use um, video conferencing no matter where people are around the globe. As long as they've got internet, I can connect with them and, and make my world, even though it's so much um, bigger at the moment and so much less able to travel around, I can make my world smaller. So these experiences, they are authentic experiences. When you're connecting with, with students from um, other classes around the globe, they are incredibly um, authentic experiences. They allow your students to also step outside of their comfort zones. I can remember a um, class contact that I had with a school in Taiwan and um, those, those students didn't speak English all that well. My students spoke um, English really well, but didn't speak um, Taiwanese all that well. Yet they was able to um, make these connections across, the, across those language barriers. Same with schools in Japan that we've worked with and, and um, other parts of the world which are not native English speakers. We've been able to find other connection points by allowing the students to connect and speak and share by learning about their cultures, suddenly allows the students to, to discover this amazing authentic experience. 
Another reason why it, it allows us to, to connect is we can actually focus on key issues that are happening in our globe at this moment. So, um, yeah, there, there's plenty, plenty of things happening uh, around us, but allowing us to actually share the, from an empathy perspective how people are, are going and um, putting our students in their shoes. Now, I can remember um, a school I connected with with my students in Nepal just after the, the earthquakes um, about five or six years ago. My students didn't understand. They were too young to understand what the um, impacts of an earthquake really were. But by putting them in front of students that had lived through that, suddenly they had this real understanding and they could appreciate from someone else's perspective what life was like for them. So here are some opportunities that we can connect and we'll be talking about these today. Obviously there's social media. My um, social media of choice is Twitter and that's what we'll be um, talking a lot about today. However, I do use other social medias that are out there. I'll talk about blogs and I'll be sharing a little bit about some of the, the best ways to blog. It doesn't have to be a blog, a website, very, very similar um, in notion. Video conferencing, I, I know a lot of us are um, well and truly on top of video conferencing at the moment, especially given our um, situation that we're, we're currently living through. But I'll share with you a few other alternatives you can um, start doing with video conferencing that I've found over the last six to eight years have been phenomenally beneficial for my own uh, classroom and students. And then I'll be sharing a little bit about Flipgrid, um, a tool that's only been around a couple of years, but it, it is just revolutionising what we can do as educators in engaging students. So let's uh, look at social media. What I'm going to ask you to do is before we begin, make sure you've got your Twitter active because there's going to be a, a whole bunch of things that we're going to be doing related to Twitter. Um, make sure you're keeping an eye out on the hashtag um, global GEG. Um, keep an eye on there because I'll be posting through TweetDeck um, the questions that we're going to be going through. I'll be sharing them on my slide deck as well. So you'll be able to um, um, yeah, answer some of the questions and, and talk about some of the learning you're going through. Now, I'm going to apologise. I will try to respond as soon as I can to um, a lot of the tweets that will come out. But obviously I'm presenting at the moment, so there may be a little bit of a delay. There is a whole team of um, global GEG leaders that will be engaging as well. So please expect someone to um, respond to your, your comment. You can also do the similar on the YouTube feed. So let's look at some information around social media. Now this quote came from ISTE a few years ago. Social media revolutionises society and created a tsunami of change for teachers. It has built and created new opportunities for educators to build individual and collective capacity through online professional learning. Using social media tools such as Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube allows educators to implement contemporary and personalised classroom learning experiences. And this came from EdSurge in 2014. So you can see these um, bits of research, these bits of information are a few years old now. However, um, they, they have the, still the common understanding that uh, using social media impacts the classroom. It benefits the classroom. So one of my favourite um, researchers out there is Alakuros. And this is what he had to say about social media. So Twitter has actually been one of the really interesting uh, tools in, in the classroom. And I've seen uh, through a number of years, I've been on Twitter since about 2007. And since then, I've seen this huge growth of teachers uh, really adopting Twitter and using it for amazing purposes. Uh, for the most part, when you see good practice on Twitter, you're seeing, uh, first of all, teachers develop a personal learning network over a long period of time. So they, they find people who are uh, interesting, who are leaders, whether they're admin uh, people, whether they are subject area specialists, whether they are, you know, 
teachers from a number of uh, broad spectrum. And, and it's not just teachers that are uh, located close, it's teachers from all aspects of the world. So if you look at um, you know, the work of Stephen Johnson, uh, he wrote a book called Where Do Good Ideas Come From? Or Where, Where Good Ideas Come From? And the idea was he, he looked at this idea of knowledge that we used to be sort of, we'd hoard our knowledge and basically keep it close to ourselves. And we thought if we just sit in isolation and think deep thoughts that eventually a good idea would come to us. But we're seeing this idea that the more parts that you put out on the table that you make available to other people, um, you see these new innovations, these things that were partial hunches, all of a sudden turn into something much bigger than we could have ever dreamed of. And it's because it's this idea collision with the ideas, the ideas of others. And that's what's happening on Twitter. You're actually seeing a lot of teachers put out their ideas. They might be in a tweet, but it almost might also be in a blog post, a video, because we have to think that Twitter is not exactly always 140 characters. We think that's the you know, you know, it's it's limited because it's 140 characters, but that the, there's a richness in that 140 characters. It can lead us to all sorts of different detours and paths. And so, through through the use of Twitter, teachers are able to connect, see better practice, see what other teachers are doing, share lesson plans, um, and, and teachers are doing it in, in a lot of different ways. For instance, the idea of the hashtag. The hashtag is is a new literacy. There's a there's um, a paper by Christine Greenell from MSU that talks about the idea of Twitteracy. And not understanding how to use a hashtag is actually becoming uh, really an important, uh, is becoming a detriment if you don't know what a hashtag is or how to connect via hashtag. So you're seeing teachers use hashtags such as ed, ed chat, which is more of a general education chat, or SS chat, which is social studies, or sci chat, which is science. So if you're interested in, in, in a subject area or say a grade area, if you're a kindergarten teacher, people are looking for kinder chat. And so all of these hashtags are supported by a number of practitioners around the world who are interested in those particular areas or disciplines, and they're connecting in new ways. And so to be apart from this uh, really means that you're sort of receding back. You're becoming, again, irrelevant in a sense because you're not connecting to some of the most, some of the brightest and most innovative educators on the planet. And so Twitter is just one, uh, one of the great ways of being able to do that. So obviously, um, George there said that it was 140 characters. It's no longer 140 characters, it's 280. So th this is a little bit more information about Twitter um, around the, the benefits from a teacher's perspective. Hello, Derek here. We're gonna talk about uh, Twitter and how you can use it for professional development. So why? Why Twitter? And how can I use it to enhance my professional development? So as a teacher, sometimes it really feels like you're the sage on the stage. You feel like you're the only person, it's you and the students, and maybe a few educators in your building. But the reality is there are educators all over the world, and not just educators, but other people that have valuable information that they can give to you. And we've always known that, but making that connection has always been a bit challenging. How do we connect all of those people with you, that one person in a classroom. So those people, who are they? Well, they're your PLN, your personal learning network. And if now, more than ever before, your personal learning network can expand to much, much bigger places than it had ever been. Not just the teacher down the hallway, your administrator and colleagues that you've known, but we can go to other educational specialists that perhaps you never really had access to before. And in my PLN, I find one of the most valuable groups are non-educators, psychologists, university professors, all sorts of people that might have uh, an expertise that outside of my PLN I'd have a hard time actually connecting to. So who else supports this? So if we look at some of these um, amazing professors, educators here, we've got people like Sir Ken Robinson, Mark Weston, Deborah Nicolay, Andy Hargraves, Alma Harris, Michael Fullen, Patsy Salzberg, um, Asher Rao and um, Yong Zhao. So you can see these are the type of educators that you have connection with and these are the type of educators that will come and speak with you if you reach out to them. Some of these are, are people I regularly engage with um, on, on a 
we, yeah, on a monthly basis based on um, different conversations I'm having with them by reaching out to them, not just hassling them going, oh, I want this information, but actually genuinely building a um, relationship with them. They start feeding you information that will um, help build you as a professional. So um, a lot of what I'm talking about is based on this book from Tom Whitby and Steve Anderson. But um, I just want you to consider what social media looked like in the past. So if we look at this Im image here, um, obviously it's a bit of a, a play on words though, um, but you can see that a lot of the things that we've, we've got in our social media sphere, um, we had access to in other forms. So the five stages of Twitter, obviously there's denial, and I, I hope many of us have moved beyond denial to curiosity. This is where a lot of people are at the moment. Then they move to aha, then you've got the obsession, and then it's just part of your life, okay? So we're going to work, hopefully, to see people move from this end of the scale down to this end of the scale. So just some information about Twitter. It's a form of microblogging. So it's 280 characters. The at symbol is the Twitter handle. A tweet is um, a post that you make. It's text, image, etc. Retweet just means you, you are sending or um, resending information other people have sent. You can also add a comment to a retweet. The follow button means you are, are following the information that another person is giving. A hashtag is a group of um, group of information being collectively put together. So today we're going to be using the, the hashtag GlobalGEG. And then direct message, it's just a, a way that you can feed conversation between um, different people, but it is just, um, it's a private conversation. So who are the people you want to be following? First and foremost, you want to be following people like your own colleagues, um, industry-based groups, um, looking at uh, people that you are interested in. If you're interested in NFL or, or AFL, or fair enough, follow them. But if, if they're not necessarily things you want to focus on, if you, you want to focus on education, focus on educators. Then look at um, the relevant information your, your PLN are putting up. So when you are creating, um, consider the type of thing you want to be actually known for. Um, look at things like events, link to information that you have and resources you've created and use 280 characters or up to 280 characters. And then engage. This is probably the most important um, part of Twitter and other social medias. There's a lot of people who sit on the sidelines and lurk. Lurking is not a bad thing. It just means you're, um, you're watching. But to move on that, um, <clears throat> on that, uh, that line, you actually need to start to engage. So things like joining in ed chats, answering questions, posing questions, uh, checking for replies, and if you've got a blog, think using or a website, using tools like Deliver It, so it feeds the information from that website or blog onto your Twitter chat, Twitter handle. So, some of you have already noticed um, this question has already been posted through TweetDeck onto um, the Global GEG. Um, Hashtag, what I would like you to do is just share something you've learned today about social media and education and um, use the hashtag global GEG. Please make sure you answer it with A1 as well. I'm just going to give you um, a short amount of time and then we're going to move on to the next question, which again I've already posted already onto um, the global GEG hashtag. I can see some fantastic answers coming in. All right, 
Um, our second um, task is you're going to search, follow, and retweet one of these edgy tweets. Um, then, uh, within the hashtag Global GEG, share with us who you followed. So these are some of the um, amazing educators that I follow and I engage with. So uh, check some of them out and um, please make sure you um, follow and retweet those. Task three, going to the um, global GEG feed, retweet one other from an, another tweet from the, glowy, the global GEG feed. So um, this is about practicing the skill of engagement. Question four, again, these are being posted directly on Twitter, um, on the global GEG feed. You are going to engage with one of the, one other person who's currently on that global GEG feed. So um, what you're going to do, you're going to scroll through that feed and you're going to start a conversation with one of the people who are, are engaging on there currently. And then, then the fifth task is you are going to search up one of the following edu hashtags and quote a tweet from them on the global GEG feed. So all of these are regular conversations that are happening amongst educators. You can see some are um, loca more location-based, some are interest-based. So um, choose the area that you want to do and then retweet it on or quote the tweet on um, Global GEG. So every single day there is hundreds of Twitter chats that are going on and all you need to do is search the educational Twitter chat calendar on, on um, Google and you'll actually find it up. So if I click on here, you can see this is the website that comes up. You can choose what time zone you wish to have it in. Um, there is also international time zones you can switch it to. And then it will take a little bit of time. And then you can see these are the chats available for educators. There are hundreds upon hundreds of them um, for you to um, engage with. So, um, as I kept on saying, um, I had preloaded a lot of the questions on TweetDeck. TweetDeck is a, um, a, <coughs> a way to manage um, the chats you're involved with and it helps you, um, helps you understand the flow of things. It uses columns, so it's easy to, to process things um, and group things into common areas such as, such as conversations or hashtags. Um, the other thing it allows you to do is schedule tweets. So if I jump over into my tweet deck here, you can actually see um, the feed that's going on at the moment and you can see how there's notifications and the scheduled tweets. So I've got a tweet from later on that will end up um, being scheduled and pushed out. To schedule a tweet, all it is is choosing the date, choosing the time, adding the image that you wish, and putting some text. Remember to make sure you add the, the hashtag that you want to feed it out to because it is um, a great way to actually have others engage with the conversation. All right, we're going to move on to blogging. What is a blog? Originally created from the words web and log, a blog is just that. A blog is the logging of one's thoughts, ideas, experiences, and more, all in one place on the web. You've probably seen them around, but what makes them so great? Well, blogs are easy to use, and with a few clicks, you can share thoughts, opinions, news, anything. Your blog is a staple of who you are, the ultimate expression of you on the web. Your blog theme is what controls how your blog looks. You can choose a theme and personalize it with your own colors and or background images to find the look that fits you. It's easy to change themes as well, so you'll always be sure that there's a look and feel out there that fits with your personality and makes it easy for visitors to find what they're looking for. Most blog themes are made up of four main sections. The header, 
the sidebar, the footer, and the body. The header is comprised of your blog's title or logo, if you have one, and your main navigation menu. The menu is the way that your guests should be easily able to navigate the content of your site. Menus are a natural part of our web experience and should link readers to the various content and pages found on your blog. Sidebars. Blogs usually have them. This area generally includes widgets and things you want to highlight, such as your favorite links, the popular content on your blog, recent activity, subscription options, and social media tools, just to name a few. The footer rests at the bottom of your blog. This is typically used to display content that doesn't often change, but that you would like your readers to have easy access to, including links to read more about you or a link to a contact page. Lastly, the most important area of your blog is the body, the main content area. Usually, this is the primary reason people have come to your blog. It's where your thoughts and ideas come to life as you share them within the post or page the content lies within. Post? Page? What's the difference? Pages are different from posts. They're normally static, displaying standard content such as an about me or a contact page. Posts, on the other hand, are all the good stuff where you publish your thoughts. In a standard blog format, posts get shown on the main page of your blog, usually in an order that places the most recent and relevant information at the very top of the list. These are things like your daily updates or news about your niche topic. When a new story is posted, it appears at the top of your blog for the world to see. This used to be done in journals. Posts are an online version of a journal entry made public for others to see. So we're going to stop there. Um, so why, why educators choose the blog is generally because it allows us to make it an expression. It allows us to um, document down information research that we are, are generating and we are creating. So, um, for example, in my own blog, I, I do that. Um, it's a professional reflection point. It helps me develop as an educator. It helps me um, work out different global um, collaborations that I have and it helps me write for an authentic audience so that I can inspire and motivate other educators. And it creates a log of ideas. On my own blog, often I will write about things like um, my fails, first attempts at learning, when I make mistakes and make errors, how, how do I then um, use research to actually change my practice to then impact my learners? So um, within our, my own blog, you can see that um, I've got my, my top bar, my, my menu bar. I've got my sidebar here, which has the different um, bits of information about me. I've got my posts and then, um, then you've got your search bar at the top here. So you can see blogs are very similar to websites but they are slightly different. Blogs are more about an um, a updating of information where websites are more static uh, information about you as an educator. So there is some plenty of information out there. All you need to do is search the web and you'll actually come across really good research about setting up a blog. Now, there are some key um, organisations that you can, or key pieces of software that you can use to set up a blog. You can use things like Blogger, WordPress, Wix, Weebly, just a, as a few. Um, you, there is more complex to more simple ones as well. So have a bit of explore, um, discover what works right for you. Once you have created it though, it is a really good thing to have it feed directly into your um, Twitter account. So I use things like uh, Deliberate to actually be able to push it out into um, my Twitter account. So obviously we've um, become pretty confident recently with video conferencing, just talking to our students. However, um, beyond that, um, that session where you're using Google Meets or Zoom or Teams, let's look at some of the other things you can do with video conferencing. So video conferences are typically full of fun. 
they're productive with with content providing provided by experts so one of the ways I use video conferencing is I use um, connect with things like museums with experts with authors with uh, learning centers with non-for-profits to try and enhance that relationship that can be done um, both when you're in a physical classroom but also when you're um, in remote learning with COVID. So um, virtual excursions are a really good example of this. Generally any excursion takes a lot of preparation. It's no different with, with video conferencing virtual excursions. However, um, things like risk management, there's much less issues there. Um, students misbehaving, same sort of thing. So, um, and it's much harder for students to wander off when they're, they're focused on their screen. So using zoos, that's a great example of um, some of the virtual um, field trips that are going on, um, museums, and, and also engaging authors. So these are, are really good examples. So an example of a, a personal collaboration I did with a school in San Diego, what we did was our students um, initially connected and we started talking about what we could do as as two separate schools. So we came up with a decision that we were looking at how do we, how would we actually create a book together. So um, the schools work together on their literacy, looking at the differences between Australian English and US English. So they um, would write different um, things and actually explain what that meant in Australia and then what it meant in the US. So there was a lot of terms that um, are interchangeable but mean completely different things. So this is um, the conversation that our students were having across video conferencing. We had to time it right, um, for obviously for um, the, the, the daylight saving and things like that to make sure that um, it was our last hour of the day, and in the US it was their first hour of the day. So it was a really tight time um, that we had a small window we had to actually make it work, but it, it became such a successful activity um, for both classes involved. Another example was is mystery locations. This is something I use very regularly. Mystery locations is an educational game where one class tries to find the other class, and that can be anywhere around the world. So the goal is to determine where they are using critical thinking, collaboration, and geography skills. Now, I'm going to pre-warn you. Um, the video that I'm going to use is not a Google video. It is a Microsoft video. However, it explains the game so well. So um, these are some of the skills that you as a teacher will see developing your students. And here's our video. In my classroom, I'll grasp onto any technology that can expand the kids' possibilities. Greeter, come on up. Learning comes from a teacher that's willing to take a risk and do something new and bring in these powerful tools. Hi, welcome to Mystery Skype. One of the key tools we're using right now is Skype to connect with other classrooms. It's so powerful to connect them beyond these four walls. Are you in the United States? Mystery Skype's a chance for the kids yeah, yeah. to connect with other students around the world. Are you east of Mississippi? Runners no. It's a challenging game for them. They have to critically think. It helps the kids understand other cultures in other countries. Are you in the US? No, we're not. Are you somewhere in Mexico? Yes. It's a powerful tool to see kids learning from each other. Hey, Mateo, come on over, bring those maps. To see their critical thinking process is far better than any test I can give. Because of Mr. Bagley, learning seems to be really fun. It's more like a game instead of the teacher telling you, this is what we're going to be doing. It's a team effort to really win Mystery Skype. Do the Rocky Mountains run through your state? No, no. I mean, really, it takes a team to do anything in life. And this is a chance for them to experience that collaboration. Are you in Baja, California? No. You can see those light bulbs going off and just that connection that they're making. How better to do that than to actually connect with other kids all over the world? Do you have dry weather? Yes, we do have Technology empowers our class to be enabled to learn beyond our four walls. 
I'm just a passionate educator who wants to make an impact for kids. I'll take risks to try to expand their learning beyond what they could have ever imagined. Are you in Mexico City? Yes, we are. So you can see with mystery locations um, the power of it and their level of engagement. So there's three ways to play and um, depending on the years, um, the age group of the students depends on which way I've played. When I was doing infants teaching, I would do it a, more of a simple version where um, now being in the, the older primary, older elementary, middle school area, I now focus on more a, a um, type of game which is focus more on critical thinking. So there's 20 questions. Basically, this is the game that I would play for my younger students, um, where um, basically we had to, we had the game of um, pre-written questions where they would then choose which question they would do to then um, narrow down the country that the other student was in. So they prepare the 20 questions and they also prepare five to 10 clues. Clue drop is that middle sort of age group. It's recommended for intermediate um, classes. So um, they use statements like, we don't have, we are not, and we don't live near. So it, it works in reverse to what the normal game would work. And then we've got yes, no, and this is the more complicated. However, this, this game actually gives the students that level of success and um, desire to succeed um, more than any other type of game. So basically, the classes are only allowed to ask closed questions, the yes, no questions, and have to use their geography skills to really narrow down where the other class is. So what happens after those mystery locations is um, you, you work out um, or you share key information about the country you're in, the state you're in, the city and the school. I know um, there has been plenty of times my students have um, not only found the school that the, students, the other students were in, but we're able to even narrow it down right down to the classroom using Google Maps. So this is, once you start developing your students and getting them practiced at this, they start getting the skills to really take this to the next level. Um, it allows them to compare and contrast their communities. So the, the conversations that happen between the students, I, yeah, they're priceless. Um, some of the, the plans that have come out of that have been our collaborative project that I did with a school in San Diego. So you, you start looking at, for other opportunities that are out there to keep that, that um, connection going between the classes. You look for common projects and you share cultural experiences and that's probably the most beneficial um, aspect for our school. It's been... Um, seeing what other schools from around the world, how they learn and how different their situations are to our own. So um, these are some of the people that um, I follow and I've connected with, again, through Twitter, um, that are amazing at um, mystery locations. So Bev Lav, uh, Bev Lad, Craig Kemp, Paul Sorence, Michael Harvey and um, Paula Nagal. If you connect with these guys, they are some of the top educators around the globe using this tool. So I would strongly suggest searching up, searching them up and actually connecting with them as well. So um, from a pro tip perspective, your network, your PLN is the number one tool you have to creating these um, opportunities for your students. For myself, I would say 95% of the um, mystery locations I've done or video conferences to um, classes around the world have come through my PLN. I remember um, four years ago just putting out a, a tweet on my to my PLN going, um, I would like an interview with the Eric Carl Museum. Does anyone have any connections? It took a while, it took about two weeks to organise, 
But um, by the end of that two weeks, I had one of our classes connecting with not only with the Eric Carle Museum, but Eric Carle himself was working on a new book that he, um, he was releasing. And um, the person we were speaking to in the museum was able to take us in there and share with us some of the, the new um, bits of artwork that he was working on. We even got to have our um, kindergarten students speak with him. So these are some of the opportunities that, um, yeah, traditionally haven't been available to us as educators. Then we have the most amazing new tool available to us at the moment. And I would say um, if you're not already on Flipgrid, I would suggest today is the day you start using it. So Flipgrid is a video sharing tool where teachers create a topic grid and then the students post responses using video. It empowers um, student voice and creativity. And I've shared, or it will come out on the, the Twitter post, the, um, this link here that um, basically gives you 50 different ways you can use Flipgrid um, in your classroom. It is an amazing resource that um, has been put out and I will make sure if it doesn't come out through the, um, through the tweet, Twitter um, post, I will push it out there myself. So I'm going to ask you um, also to use the Flipgrid link, which is here. And Philomena, can you also post that through the, um, the, the chat as well? And I'll, I'll make sure that that gets posted on the tweet deck as well. Um, you are going to click on the link you're going to use the password when you click on there, Global GEG. Make sure you have a capital for Global and capital for GEG. And what you're going to do is you're going to um, just give a bit of feedback, your own reflection on an area you've grown in during COVID. Then you're going to watch another person's and give them some positive feedback and a suggestion on how they could iterate and grow this new understanding even further. In my own classroom, when I'm, I'm using this, I actually use a protocol called two stars and a wish. So I'm going to encourage you also to use a very similar protocol to that. So if you can um, click on there, um, the link has been posted for you. Remember, the password is global GEG. So when you get there, you will see this is what it's set up. If you type in global GEG, it will then let you in. Make sure you watch um, my introduction video that I've given to you and then click this green response bar button here. Video your own um, video, telling us a little bit about your own experience of COVID and it's something that you've grown in. Then reflect on um, someone else's, watch someone else's when they start um, being put in there. Then what you'll do is use something like two stars and a wish to give them feedback. What you'll find is once you start using this tool, it becomes a whole bunch of fun for you and your students. So I'm going to move on. I'll leave, um, leave that open for you. So I'm not expecting by the end of this presentation those videos to be done. However, um, yeah, once this um, presentation is finished, you might want to get on there and actually look at those or add more to, to that because you'll find by engaging this way, um, you're learning exactly um, how your students will be learning and it's a tool that you are then able to bring into your own classroom. So just to wrap up the information from today. Um, again, a quote from ISTI a few years ago, teachers make things happen to bring meaning to the world. Technology is just a tool. This is something that I want to um, very much um, reinforce the technology we use as educators is not the driver the driver is you as the teacher being 
um, choosing what's the best tool to actually empower the learning. So please remember that. Please use the, the information you have, the curriculum you have, and then choose the right tool to, in, to um, enrich that. Global connections engage students in fun, authentic and deep learning. Again, this is another quote from ISTE, um, and this is what I've found. This is what I've found personally um, as my own, as an, as an educator myself, um, using my PLN, which is a global PLN, I've found that some of my closest friends are not the, the ones that live in the same country as me. Some of my closest friends are the ones that I can send a tweet to and go, hey, are you available just to, to, to jump on my Google Meet? And we will talk for an hour or so um, about different issues that are going on. Some of my closest friends are now some of those um, some of the, those researchers I talked about earlier on that I've built relationship over time. These relationships are authentic. They are a little fun and they've helped my learning as a professional grow deeply as well. So our challenge as educators is to explore and implement the opportunities available to use as 21st century global, globally connected educators so that we enhance learning for all. So understanding that um, we do have hundreds upon hundreds of tools available to us, but choosing what's going to be the best to prepare our students for those, those future opportunities so that we can have that future-focused learning um, and teaching that our students deserve. This is one of the reasons why I use things like uh, Twitter. It's one of the reasons why I use um, video conferencing. It's very much a reason why I use Flipgrid. It's, and also for my blogging, it's so that I can allow my students to have the best opportunity to learn deeply from me as a reflective educator. Thank you for today. I hope you've um, found this beneficial and um, I'll hand it back over to Philomena. Thank you for joining us at this Global GED event. You can watch this recording as many times as you want. Visit our website or Twitter for more information. Don't forget to join our Google group. Don't forget to fill out the feedback form. Thank you for joining us at this Global GED event.